we rich? So I, this is participation. So if you thought you were napping, I'm going to give you five minutes and then you can go back. But how are we rich? We're rich in Christ. Hold that thought. You got to, you got to my sermon already, which is good. How else are we rich? How do we measure richness or being rich in our world today? Toys. Ooh, man. Yes, sir. Money. Whoever has the most money is rich, correct? <laughs> in the world's eyes. How else are we measured by rich? Pardon? Having what we need, but we always need more. Somebody else. How are we rich? How do we measure that? Oh, wait, wait, wait. Heard it over here. Family. Love. Health. You've hit all the good ones. I'm waiting for the real ones. Come on. Think about it. Do we measure ourselves by what job we have? Are we rich if we got the right job? If we're the top dog, are we rich? And if we're on the bottom of the ladder, are we rich? Yeah, toys. That's your favorite one. Who has the best boat in the neighborhood? Who has the, the house on the lake? Or who doesn't have the house on the lake? Who has the fanciest car? Who gets a car every other year? You get the idea? We measure our richness by a lot of worldly ideas. But the most important one is in what? Is in Christ, is in God. Do you realize that we're rich? Anybody think they're rich? Okay, good, good. Some of you are raising your hands and that's an important thing. Do you, okay, let's do it this way. Do you wish that you were rich? Everybody's hands should be up on that one. Do you rich, wish that you were rich? Well, let me tell you a quick story as we get into this. Before I came into the ministry, uh, I worked for about 18 years in alumni relations and between Wichita State, worked at K-State and back at Wichita State. And during my time at K-State, I had the opportunity to drive um, to western Kansas and back doing events. And I would take various administrators from the university. And so one of the vice presidents that would always go with me on a trip, we were on our way back from western Kansas. And we got into a conversation about life. And, you know, if you could do anything you wanted to do, what would you want to do? And he asked me, he said, Brad, you know, if you could have any job in the world... What would that job be? I didn't have to think very long because I knew what that was. I said, you know, I would love to be a consultant. He says, consultant? Why would you want to be a consultant? I said, well, the idea of a consultant is, is the opportunity that you have to work with an individual or a business and have a chance to make them better, to make them successful, to be able to help them get through where they are and get them to where they need to be going. I thought that was the greatest, greatest job in the world. In fact, if, if I was rich, if I was really rich, I would love nothing more than to have a foundation that would be able to provide resources and money to people who have great business ideas and you know, need that startup just to watch them grow and watch them to get excited about life. So I sometimes wish that I had a lot of money. See, we all want to be rich, don't we? We all want to be rich. By all those definitions, we sit here and say we want to be rich. But the question is, what do we want to be rich in? I think that's the important thing. 
If I was to tell you today that all of your debt was wiped away, would you feel rich? Mm -hmm. Would you know what to do with that richness? Some of you are nodding, some of you are pondering, some of you maybe aren't sure. Well, let's get into our topic. We are starting a series called Be Rich. And looking at that concept, be rich. And you see the tagline, the truth is you are already rich. And that is something that I hope throughout this series you hear. That the concept of being rich, you already are. If you're a Christ follower, if you're a child of God, if God is in your life, you are already rich beyond measure. Hear that. You are rich beyond measure. Our riches, as you said it so well, is found in Christ. Our riches are found in God. God's made us rich. And some of you would scratch your head and say, well, now, wait a minute. I don't get that. Well, God's made us rich not in the way that the world decides who's rich. God doesn't make us rich by the cars we drive, the, 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 the job that we have, the, the, the money that we get from that job. He blesses us with those things. But God's made us rich by his love for us. He created every one of you in this room. Now, if he's the creator, he has made you rich because you're his. And hear that. If there's somebody in this room that's not yet a Christ follower, you are still rich in God because God created you. It does not matter whether you are following him at this point God through Christ or not. God still made you. God still cares for you. God has made you rich. God desires a relationship with us. And some of us go, man, I don't understand why God wants to have a relationship with me, but he has made me and you so rich that he desires to have that relationship with us. And God bought us. He paid our debt for our sin through the death of his son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. And that right there, folks, makes us eternally rich. Now, in preparing for this message, I came across this statement. I'll put it up on the screen here. God's incomparable riches means you lack nothing. Let that sink in for a minute. God's incomparable riches means you lack nothing. Now, it's easy to say, well, yeah, but my bank account's small. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about your life. God has made you so rich, you lack nothing by following him. He, God, is our inheritance. Think about that. The Lord and creator of this earth is our inheritance. He's given it to us. Think of it this way. God's abundant riches and generosities towards us in Christ should shape the way we live and the way we act. If we're so rich, if God has made us so rich and we are rich in Christ by what he's done by paying our debt... It should affect the way we live and the way we act. So when we say, what does it look like to be rich? It's to act like God wants us to, and to act Christ-like. And we'll get in the middle of that 
Today we're going to look at an Old Testament story in the book of Exodus chapter 20, looking at the Israelites as they were brought out of slavery into Egypt. Now stop for a moment. We've heard that story of God bringing the Israelites out of Egypt. We say, oh yeah, yeah, God did this and God did this and he brought them out of bondage. Can you think for a minute about God doing that for them? How big of a deal is that? We make that a cliche sometimes, but that is huge. That God delivered them. God protected them. God pulled them out of slavery. He paid their debt. He found a way to get them out of slavery and the bondage that they had with the Egyptians and made them free. They had God. What else did they need? They were rich. They had God. What a crazy, crazy thought. And if they were rich in God, God desired a devoted life from them. And so he gave them, in the passage we're going to read, some guardrails on how to live their life. How to respond to him and how to respond to others. God had an expectation of life as we read this today. So, grab your Bibles. We're in Exodus chapter 20, starting with verse 1. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them and serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Visiting the iniquities of the fathers of the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. But showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the Lord, the Lord your God in vain, the name of the Lord your God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath. To the Lord your God, on it you shall not do any work, you or your sons or your daughter or your male servants or your female servant or your livestock or, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Well, let's stop for a moment because what we're reading in, in Exodus 20 is the Ten Commandments. And we've read them before. In fact, some of us know them very well because we say, well, I don't do commandment number five, and I have a hard time with commandment number two, and all this stuff. But stop for a moment, because the Ten Commandments were guardrails. You're going to hear this, hear this again later on as I it, it kind of put this... They were not rules to follow. They were a way of life for us to follow. And I think there's a difference there between rules and how we live. See, we do a rule, it's just like a check mark. Way of life is it's all through us. It's, it's an outflow. It's something that we do. And so the, the first commandments that you have here talk about how we respond, how we worship God. Go back and look at those for a minute. Do not make other gods before me. 
Do not make idols. Do not take the name of the Lord in of the name of the Lord God in vain. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Those four, in essence, talk about how we're to treat God, how we're to respond to Him, how we're to interact with Him. God wants to be the it and only one. And we have a hard time with that. The Israelites are going to have a hard time with that. And, and, and we read later on how they immediately after this, the first thing they did was they decided to take all the gold, bullet, um, melt it down and build an idol. God desires for you and me to keep our minds on Him. If we're going to be rich in Him, we've got to keep our minds on Him and make Him the only thing. Realize that we're rich in God and not rich in all the things that the world says. Rich in God because we worship Him and He is the most important thing in our lives, not the idol that we choose to make here in the world. So you see the first four. Let's continue on. Starting in verse 12. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord God is giving you. You should not murder. You should not commit adultery. You should not steal. You should not bear false witness against your neighbor. You should not covet your neighbor's house. You should not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything else that is your neighbor's. So in the first four, we talk about our response to God and how we're to worship Him and make Him the number one. These next set of verses talk about how we respond to and how we should treat others. If we're really rich in God, if God is the most important thing in our lives, these are not rules that we're going to say, well, yeah, I honor my mother and father, and I don't steal, and I don't murder, and the kind of thing I have a, you know, it's a way of life. When we honor our father and mother, when we honor our elders, when we honor those that God desires us for, to honor, we are responding to God and in in affecting those around us. Talk about do not murder, do not commit adultery. All those things are how we deal with people. We have disagreements, we deal with them, we don't react. We don't do something crazy, we don't do something stupid. My favorite one of that one is do not covet because we talk about being rich. And sometimes being rich is based on how many toys we have and how many toys the person has next to us. And oh gee, I wish I had what Keith had. I want his motorcycle. No, I don't. I'm, I mean, a motorcycle is a whole different. Yeah, that makes me laugh too. But we do that. We get caught up in this. And God was trying to tell the Israelites, here's how I want you to live. Quit trying to look at each other. Quit trying to fuss with each other. I want you to love each other. I want you to pay attention and respond and serve each other. If you're rich in God, you will make me, God number one, and you will take care of others around you and make them more important than yourself. See, if we're to enjoy God's riches for us and if we're going to live for Him, then how we respond to God and how we treat others is laid out in these verses. 
See how quickly they go from being a list of rules to follow to a way of life? And like I said, I think that's important. We, even growing up as a kid, we memorized the Ten Commandments as a set of rules, you know, and it's like, it is, it's, it's important to know them, but we're to live them. Make them a part of our everyday life. Well, let's read on because then there's an interesting kind of a twist to this whole thing as God is outlying this through Moses and to the people. Let's go back to chapter 20, verse 18. Now, when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled, and they stood far off and said to Moses, You speak to us, and we will listen, but don't let God speak to us lest we die. Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you that the fear for him may be before you, that you may not sin. The people stood off for a while, while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. And this is an interesting piece here. I call it healthy fear. Healthy fear. The Israelites were scared of God's voice. Now, think about it. Why would, why would they be scared of God's voice? If God spoke to us today, would, would we be excited? We'd be scared, wouldn't we? Yeah, we want to hear God's voice, but I don't know that we want to hear God's voice. I mean, that's just, you know. They were scared. They were scared of his presence. Why? Because they knew inside they weren't doing the right things. And they didn't want to deal with God face to face. Can you imagine today, if in today's world, what we were to be face to face with God to deal with all the wrongdoings we've done? Can we almost say we're thankful that we get to pray to him and we don't have to see him? Would we be willing to do that? I mean, imagine what that would look like. Imagine how scared we would be. But yet, Moses told them, go back to verse 20. Moses said to, these, to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be for you, and you may not sin. When we have a healthy fear, when we have a healthy respect of who God is and what God wants from us, it's a great deterrent from doing the things that we're not supposed to do. In fact, in today's world, we are blessed. God blessed us with an important part of Him in the Trinity called the Holy Spirit. I, always, I used to tell youth, the, the, they'd say, well, what is the Holy Spirit? I said, you ever done something wrong and deep inside you go, gosh, I wish I had done that stupid thing? They go, yeah. And I said, that's the Holy Spirit inside of you. When you feel you shouldn't have done something, that is the God saying, Brad, you shouldn't have done that. As soon as it comes out of the mouth, you go, oh, man, I wish I hadn't said that. Oh, man, I wish I hadn't done that. That nagging, that bothering, that Holy Spirit in us creates a healthy fear that can keep us from doing the things that God doesn't want us to do. And that was what was going on here. Moses was saying, God's not wanting to speak to you because he wants to thump you. He wants to speak to you so that you know who he is. You will follow him. It will make your life richer. 
Well, let's read on. Starting in verse 22. And the Lord said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the people of Israel, You have seen for yourselves that I have talked with you from heaven. You shall not make gods of silver to be with me, nor shall you make for yourselves gods of gold. An altar of earth you shall make for me and sacrifice it, sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and your peace offerings, your sheep and your oxen. In every place where I cause my name to be remembered, I will come to you and bless you. If you make, an, make me an altar of stone, you shall not build it with hewn stones. For if you wield your tool on it, you profane it. And you shall not go up by the steps to my altar, that your nakedness will not, uh, nakedness be not exposed to it. God's helping them understand what it means to have proper worship. Proper worship. See, the altar back then was an act of worship. It was an act of, of asking for repentance, of forgiveness. It was going to God and saying, I'm worshiping you and you alone, and I need forgiveness to atone for my sins. See, God desired their worship to be real and proper. He didn't want their worship to be false, and God's desired response was worship and repentance back then. God did not desire a, the flash of the how. He desired the heart to be willing. Think about that in today's world. As we think about worship. And the altar had two factors. Holiness and idolatry. These were the warnings that God was saying. Holiness, holiness is belonging to God. The altar that was built was to be built to give to God, not to look at how great I did. In fact, the other part of that was to make it an altar. It was not something the people made for themselves. It was God's. They made it for Him, not for themselves. And if they weren't careful, that altar would become an idol. So God said, I need it to be minimal in construction and function without becoming an object of appreciation. God, look at this nice altar I built you. Look how good I am. It's got all this fun, nice stuff. I made the stones perfect. And God said, I need you to build an altar that goes to me. I don't need you to make that your altar. I don't need you to make that about you. I need it to be about me. So stop for a moment and think today. Is our worship proper? Now, before you go to seed on that one, let me say, not what we experience in worship, but our response. And I think that's very, very careful. What our experience, is our personal experience to worship proper? Is our response to that proper? Keith and I, as I was working on this, Keith and I were talking about worship and, and, and everything. And, and as we were talking about that, he shared with me a quote that he had shared with the choir earlier in the week. I'll put this on the board. We are here to make Jesus look good, not ourselves. The goal is not musical excellence by itself, but an undistracting excellence that draws attention to the one we're worshiping. See, a lot of times we make worship about us. God, look what I'm doing. Man, I'm singing. 
I'm excited. My hands are up. It's, it's about me. When our worship should be, and I love this whole undistracting excellence. If we're worshiping God, nothing else matters. If we're worshiping God, no one else is, oh, look at him. He's doing, it's about our response to him, not our experience. So, as I said before, the, the Ten Commandments are not just a set of rules to follow. I think it's important to hear that. They're not just a set of rules that we follow. They're a lifestyle. They're a lifestyle that shows us how to use the riches that God has given us. Go back to the, those first four, how we relate to Him and how we relate to others. It is an outflow of our response to God. If we're truly rich in Him, then how we, how we worship Him and how we interact with each other is going to be visually seen and visually different than how the world decides how rich we really are. This whole concept, these guardrails, give us freedom from sin that can bind us. Sin that can control us. Sin that can become our master and turn us away from God. And just like the Israelites... As they were set free in slavery from Egypt, these guardrails set us free from sin. If we follow these and we keep these as our guardrails, we will treat others differently and we will worship God properly in our lives. If you go from the Old Testament to the New Testament in Luke 18, it kind of hones in on this whole concept of rule following and, and attitude. There's a rich ruler that goes to Jesus and asks the magic question, how do I get to heaven? How do I get here? This is Luke 18, beginning with verse 18. And the ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not... Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and mother. And he, the ruler, said, all, all these I have kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack, sell all you have and dist distribute it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow, and come and follow me. But when he, the rich ruler, heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. See, following the rules does not make you God or with God. It's how you act. It's not about the rule following. Following the rules does not make you rich in the eyes of God. Money and influence do not make you rich in the eyes of God. He who gets the most stuff does not make you rich in the eyes of God. And just like the, the rich ruler, we run into that in today's world. But God, I've done all these things that you've asked me. I've followed everything. I've learned the Bible. I know all this stuff. And God says, what are you doing with your riches that, that you have created here? Well, they're in my checkbook, and they're in my, my savings account, and they're in my 401k, and they're in my stock market, and they're on all that. And he says, no, 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 no. I need you to take what 
I've blessed you with, which is those resources, and give them back to me through other people. There's an outflow there. Anybody heard the concept of pay it forward? Yeah. Anybody been blessed by that? Okay, real quick, quick sidebar. And I don't want you to say yes or no, but think about this. And it happened to me. You ever been in the line at, at a fast food drive through and you pull up there and they say, oh, it doesn't cost you anything because the person in front of you bought it for you. You say, oh, thank you. Now here's the question. Do you say thank you and drive on by? Or you stop and say, hey, you know what? I'm going to take care of the person behind me. Or do you ask the magic question, well, I'd like to take care of the person behind me, but what did they order? Because if they order 20 bucks worth of something and I only ordered five, I'm not sure I'm going to do Pay it forward. Think of the concept of how we respond to God and others as paying it forward. If we're paying it forward in our Christian lives, we're showing God's love to others. We're making God known by what we do. We are showing how rich we are by the way we act. And if we do that, people are going to say, Brad, how come you do what you do? How do you, why do you? And you go, well, let me tell you. Let me tell you about the God that's in my life that's made me rich that's allowed me to do things, that's made, given me a peace in the midst of the storm, that gives me hope each and every day, that every day I can wake up and say, I've been renewed and I've made, been made clean and I've had a chance to restart my day and try to make my day better than the day before. See, we are rich, truly rich, when we acknowledge God for what He has done for us and make what he has done for us available and seen to others around us. That's what being rich means in God, is that we're acknowledging him as the most important thing in our lives, and we're making him available and seen to those around us. That's interesting when I say available and seen because making God available means I can talk to Keith about who God is and I can just spew on him. Oh, here, let me read from the Bible, blah, 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 blah. But if God, if he doesn't see God in me, I've made him available to Keith, but he hasn't seen God in me. And I think that's important. If we're going to do those, those last parts of the commandments, it's not just saying it, it's doing it. If we're going to walk it, or talk it, we need to walk it, right, Corey? I remember that one time. You said that one time. If we're going to talk it, we need to walk it. And that gives us the awesome opportunity to pay it forward. Again, a chance to bless somebody else by the riches that God has provided to us. The other passage I want to turn to is in Matthew chapter 22. And Jesus did a great job of simplifying the Ten Commandments and helping people see that we don't want to get caught up in the Pharisaic rule following, but the lifestyle. This is in Matthew chapter 22, beginning in verse 36. Teacher, what is the greatest commandment of the law? And he, Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is, is, like, is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depends the law and the prophets. 
God's, I mean, Jesus simplified it. You understand what the Ten Commandments are? What it means to be rich is to love God and love others. If you do those two things, you will show how rich you are in God. So, now that I put that out there, how do you want to be rich? How do you want to be rich? Where do you want to be rich? And then let me ask you this question. Are you really rich today? Are you rich by what's in your billfold? What's in your checking account? By what house you have? By what car you drive? Are you rich because of what's inside here? Who dwells in here? Who guides you every day? See, if you're a Christ follower, this is where the riches need to be so that you have a chance to pay it forward and show God's riches to the world who needs it. If you're not a Christ follower in this room and you're struggling with this concept of who is God and how can God make me rich, the opportunity is today to ask Christ into your heart, to begin working in your heart, to begin directing you and challenging you and give you an inner peace that the world's riches can never provide. An inner peace that the world's riches can never provide. If you remember the beginning when I told you the story about my desire of my dream job, it's interesting. Because my dream job was to be a consultant and to help people be better than, them, than, than they are, or help them become a better business and all that kind of thing. But guess what? I really am doing that. And it's not because I stand here, but because I'm a Christ follower. See, as a Christ follower, I have a chance to pay it forward and help somebody else become a better person by introducing them to who Christ is, to who this God that created the universe and made them cares about them. So much so that he sent his son to die a death so that they could be forgiven. I have a chance to be a consultant with people each and every day. Now, yes, I also have the great humbling opportunity to be a, a pastor, minister of the gospel. And also with that, I have a chance to consult with people and help them become better. Better in Christ. Not better because of me, but better because of Christ, because of God. We are rich because of God's love for us and His Son, Jesus Christ, and what He did for us. And guess what? Each of us get the opportunity to be a consultant. To help people around us to be successful in life by knowing who God is. By knowing what Christ can do in their lives. Everyone in this room that's a Christ follower has that chance to be a consultant for God. By sharing the riches that He has blessed us with. Blessed us with beyond measure. And make a difference in other people's lives. See, we get that wonderful opportunity to pay it forward by sharing the riches that God has given to us. Let's close our eyes and pray. God, thank you. Father, I thank you that you have given us riches we don't deserve. 
Riches that sometimes we don't understand. You sent your son to die for us and, and sometimes we bog our minds on how can I be worthy of what you did? And it's because you love us, that you care for us, and you desire for us to live for you. And you desire for us to tell others around us about who you are and how great you can be in their life because you love them too. Father, help us understand that being rich is not how much money and stuff that we have, but the fact that we have you in our lives. Father, I thank you for making me rich, not in wealth, but in life, and in inheritance that you've given to me and everyone into this room. Father, I pray this is a day that we acknowledge the richness. And Father, I pray if there's someone in this room today that they have a chance to embrace the richness that you've given to them by accepting your Son as their Lord and Savior. Father, we thank you for the many blessings you provided in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand.